following episode contains explicit language, descriptions of sexual activity, and references to porn. Listener's discretion is advised. Hi there, this is Dani. Before we start this episode, I wanted to make sure that you are aware that this is part two of the first episode of season three of our podcast, What Are You Going To Do With That? We are about to go deeper into Farnoosh's findings from her porn research, as well as her other very interesting projects. If you haven't listened to part one, I would highly recommend that you do that first. Otherwise, the beginning of this episode might seem a bit weird. <laughs> All right, here we go. What my dissertation found is that what I'm actually looking into are these relationships, right? What are the relationships between the people that are having sex? How do they know each other and how well do they know each other before they engage in a sexual activity? That's what my dissertation is on. And what I am finding out is that from the 70s to 2020, the amount of knowledge between two characters in their in popular pornography becomes narrower and narrower. It goes from you don't want to even know their name, you don't want to know fuck all about that person, to into the internet age, not only do you want to know everything about that person, the most popular porn, 60% of digital age pornography in the United States that was popular was incest porn. It was between step-siblings. Okay. So not only do you want to know them, you want to have a long history and knowledge of this person. You want them in the room next to you in this. And that's just popular. So like, and it being popular, meaning it's a minimum, minimum 60 million people had to have watched this video within the United States in the first year that it was released. Wow. Every yeah. year from 2014 and on, it was all incest all the time. Not mother, son, not father, daughter, step siblings. That step thing. It's a huge, huge thing that nobody talks about. I'm so excited to make everybody talk about it. I'm like, we need to talk about how the most we popular might porn. We talk about this as a society. <laughs> yes. Hey, buddy. Like, everybody talks about how it was gross that Donald Trump talked about how he would have dated his daughter if they weren't related. Right? Oh, it's gross because Donald Trump is being incesty. Oh, it's gross because Game of Thrones has twins that are having sex with each other and it's in the mainstream. No, that's not as gross as 60% of the popular content <laughs> in the internet age. 60% of the most popular content in the United States in the internet age was incest porn. Like, that is in our public consciousness, nobody is freaking talking about it. Can everybody talk about this? Because I feel like nobody, it's like I found out that everybody's been telling me that the cups at this party were red and I did research and found out that the cups were actually blue. And I'm like, can everybody talk about how they were actually blue? Because I'm missing something. Why didn't anybody tell me that it wasn't just like, because the joke is that it's like the pizza boy. Like, did somebody order a pizza with extra sausage and then you end up having sex, right? That's what porn is. No, it is mostly a popular porn these days. It's mostly like, no step bro. I, <laughs> I need to use this to be able to go to the party today. And they're like, no, I want to use it. And you're like, I'm going to fight. And then it's like, what are you doing, step bro? This is <laughs> like that is the narrative, and it's 
I'm not implying because there is definite evidence that shows that like your fantasy does not equate to reality just because this was also, by the way, especially huge with a big attack on women. Do you remember when uh, Fifty Shades of Grey came out? And it was this worldwide sensation. Everybody was talking about this book, Fifty Shades of Grey. They made movies about it, right? And they were like, women are reading this because it's porn, right? And all these women want these BDSM, like, tied up whips and chains. Like, all the, because it was so popular that all women must love BDSM. They must love to be tied up and being told, like, being submissive to somebody, and it's like, no, just because you fantasize about it does not mean that you actually want it in real life. Yeah. But the bigger question, if that's really what you're pushing in, this is a much more popular thing that has been popular for multiple years. I'm not saying that it is what people are thinking of, but I am saying that everybody has it in their brain and nobody is talking about it. And we should probably talk about why was this the trend? Why was this the? Why did this become popular? I mean, I have some assumptions I, that are not scientifically proven yet, but I'm assuming it's because, um, as the uh, as pornography became much more ubiquitous and became much more, uh, you had more access and you were able to watch it on your phones and all that sort of stuff, and um, you had more choice and privacy in these technological things. Actors became much more uh, famous. They now have Instagram accounts and they have managers and they have agents and they have glam squads and they have uh, conventions that you can meet porn stars and you can follow their OnlyFans and you can uh, all these sorts of things where now they are, they have a product. Their product is their body and they're selling that product. And just like how most people in all workforces have a body and they're selling a portion of an effort that can be done by their body. And the more popular that they become, it seems as though they're more likely to be able to say what they can and cannot do on a set because they're trying to protect their um, their product. I can't do these whips and chains and being thrown around and all these acrobatic things that were a little bit more popular in older porn anymore. I can only do some of these specific sexual acts because I have another convention I need to go to. I need to have to go over here or there. I got to do photo shoots, um, be go on OnlyFans that night. I need better lighting. I need to make sure I don't have bruises or any kind of scars or marks or anything like that. That would be lasting. And I am assuming that the industry, the professional industry, as actors were less likely to do certain acts, they still needed to up the taboo sensation seeking. So they're like, we need to, instead of it being the people doing the taboo thing, the storyline needs to be taboo. Oh, okay. And so they started upping the taboo storylines. That's when uh, that occurred when the internet age started. So like the late nineties. And then all of a sudden you started seeing a rise in the MILF concept, the mom I'd like to fuck. Where you go, oh, it's my best friend's mom, right? Or, oh, it's the naughty teacher. Oh, it's the, like, those sorts of storylines with authority figures or next the girl next door. Like, these people that you long for and pine for, but you were never able to get, now you're able to get them. And 
so now that it was socially taboo to have sex with your best friend's mom, the MILF concept, the Stifler's mom, American pie thing ended up occurring. Okay, so now that's over and done with. What's the next taboo thing? Okay, the next taboo thing after that is that it's your stepmom. It's your stepmom, not your best friend's mom. It's your stepmom. And it's like, oh, that's fucked up. Your dad married her and now you're having sex with her. That's fucked up. Okay, that happened. That became popular in the late 2010s, like 2005 and on. And then we're getting now into like 2011, 2012. And you're like, okay, well, now what? Now you can't do your stepmom anymore. It's your step sibling. It's the Brady Bunch problem. It's the person sitting in the room directly next to you. And your mom and your dad are going to be so mad at you if you are jerking off thinking about your sibling that you're just trying to be a happy family with because there's high divorce rates and all that sort of stuff. This is bad. But it's okay. They, if you watch these porns, the storyline is always but you're not actually my brother. You're not actually my sister. You're my stepbrother. You're my stepsister. So there's no blood involved. It's we're not going to uh we're not doing something that's going to that genetically is incorrect. It's just socially incorrect. And it's just go, but you're like you're my brother. No, I'm not your brother. I'm your stepbrother. So it's okay. <laughs> that's, I don't know. It's messed up. But no, no, it is incredibly messed up. But that's the whole, the whole point of it is that it's, it's messed up, but it's not too messed up. It's just socially messed up. It's not against your DNA. It's not physically repulsive. I don't know. Something about like wanting to kiss your brother is gross, but something about wanting to kiss a person who you're not biologically connected to that all of a sudden showed up at your house that you it's like it's only socially fucked up but it's socially really fucked up (laughs) and so making that a fantasy really sparks that taboo sensation seeking that people do right so you told me about the uh, selection of the movies and the scope which is often in research uh, the biggest issue, at least for me, that was something I struggled with for a while when I was like coming up with a research proposal, because I was always thinking about something that was just not doable within the time frame that I was going to get my scholarship for, right? <laughs> so the scope is important. Um, and you also know, let us know that there's some historical uh, aspect to it, because it's from the 70s until today. So there must also be some changes or some comparison that you do there. But then the elephant in the room question might be um so are you watching all these movies oh yourself am i watching hundreds of pornographic films the answer to your question is no i don't watch pornography on my own i hire other people to be able to do it mainly because it's when it comes to a content analysis it's a lot of freaking content that you have to look at Mm -hmm. and i to prep myself for the amount of pushback I might get. Because I was very concerned at the beginning that um, what if people think that I'm researching it specifically because I'm a huge fan, right? What if, It's like, you're only researching porn because you're a huge fan of porn or something like that. And I 
it's so funny where I'm like, actually, no, I never, I didn't even know about it before. And now I'm just fascinated by it. And I want to hear everything that anybody could ever talk about it. Um, and so I take several measures to disconnect the content from me, from me as a researcher, which in the process actually makes me a better researcher because I have to design these methodologies so intricately. I have to create these protocols that are so detailed that if I drop it in the middle of the street and one of my coders picks it up and without me even mentioning anything, they can train themselves to code my studies because I want to say, I didn't even look at the content. I wrote this protocol out. I gave it to these four coders. They watched this content for me and they all are seeing the exact same things that I was asking them to look for which I can show through the reliability. And this is what is being found, that this is what's present, this is what's not present in this content. And the more people, I, I feel like it protects me that if somebody yells at me and goes, you didn't even look at this thing, where I go, ma'am, I didn't even look at the porn. I <laughs> these coders to look at it for me. They reported to me what they saw. And all four of them that were watching these same videos all saw the exact same thing. Are you really mad at me about the method to which, are you mad at the answer that it exists? Or are you mad at how I found the answer? Because those are the two things. I'm tired of people being mad at me that I'm even talking about it to begin with. It clearly needs to be talked about. You are waking up in the morning. You got mm -hmm. dressed. You came down all the way from wherever you were sleeping to this room so you can talk to me about this. It clearly motivated you. <laughs> it's clearly an important <laughs> thing. So why are you mad that I'm trying to find answers? Why are you, why not? expose it. Because to be honest, one of the enticing factors of pornography is that it's taboo, is that it's bad. It's that it's naughty, right? That's the term that it's a naughty thing. And if anything, the more I talk about it, the more I try to be transparent and try to show and use scientific methods to expose what is being exhibited, it's only making it more transparent and less naughty. I'm making it as bland as it's literally words on a page that I'm publishing. Yeah. What is the issue here? It's just, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so I don't, no, I don't actually code my own studies. I hire others to be able to do it for me. Thank goodness. It sounds to me like sound research, uh, good research methods, good thinking behind it. Uh, this is, in the end, you said before that your supervisor doesn't know that much about pornography as you're studying it but that she does know a lot about the effect that media has yes and you also mentioned before that porn is the most watched kind of media out there so why is no one researching it and it's so interesting for us to know how it affects us that i think it's uh it's a really great thing to study and to bring us the results with you and your team also of coders and that people should really understand that the researcher is usually disconnected from the 
research. Yeah, it's commonplace. But it's not that you're a born fan and that's why you're doing this research. Exactly. That's not really how it works. But mind you, I mean, that is how it is with a lot of other PhD students. A lot of my colleagues, the reason why they research what they research is because they are fans of these things, that they love these things. A lot of my, I have a colleague that researches um, parasocial relationships and fanfic, which it does talk about, it's basically uh, uh, the our digital ages version of um, Harlequin novels, right? It's these fanfics, like where you're writing stories out about, she specifically researches uh, One Direction. Her name is Ashley Hedrick and mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Ashley Hedrick. And she researches how these written accounts of, talk about these sexual activities of these famous celebrities that are all fictional and how that is part of the coming of age and this, the uh, establishing of those sexual scripts within somebody, right? And so I am basically looking at it from something that is produced and has sets and lighting and scripts and actors, whereas she's looking at a teen girl who's writing a story out that is fanciful about these people <laughs> that they really like, right? And she got into researching this because when she was younger, she was not necessarily involved in the writing, but was reading these sorts of things and friends with other people who were writing about it. And I can definitely see how somebody can connect that if I am researching it, that I must be a fan of it. But really, the distinction is it's not necessarily that you're a fan about it. It's that you are fascinated by it. And that is mm -hmm. unending. My research, it has nothing to do about how I actually feel about it. It's that I have never stopped being so fascinated, not even by the content, but by the people who it's like everything they've ever wanted to talk about is this. And I am the one person that they rush to, to go, you were researching it. Can I talk to you about it? And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, <laughs> it blows my mind. And it every day, I mean, even now I, I talk to my, like some colleagues every single day. And when we talk about what we do at the end of the day, the follow-up questions are always, hey, can you, can I ask you another question about this? Can I get a follow-up about what you did today? And it's just like, why is mine the interesting one? I want to know more about the works that you're doing as well, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> a very interesting topic and something that seems to be going well for you with the research too, despite the struggles that you faced um, with being nervous about the um backlash that you could also get from studying this you've actually gotten pretty far because i've been taking a look at your resume and i saw that you have various publications and you've presented your research at conferences whether people took over your panel or not and that there was a list of awards and fellowships including scholarships on it so congratulations for all of those accomplishments thanks <laughs> uh, but of course the question that everyone who's listening would then have is what's your secret how do you do it? And that is a very general and difficult question to answer, of course. But maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about what the accountability buddies is. Oh, sure. Okay. So, I mean, a good advice for somebody that's like, what's your secret? Because I also teach, right? That's part of the process of my fellowship. Um, and I have a lot of undergrads that ask that same question. And I just go like, 
never stop. Like never, every time you reach something, have a goal, reach it, get bored and think of the next step. Think of it as exciting. It's just a new adventure, right? I have a lot of my colleagues that like, I am so afraid, right? As a PhD candidate, right? And you are as well. And I I think mm-hmm. about what will occur if I get a job at a university and then I become a professor. And then the moment I sit in my office and I go, okay, okay, is this it? Like, am I done or something like that? Never feel done. Like I have never felt done before. Every seat that I sat in, I go, this is just the seat I'm sitting here until I get to the next chair. Like it's the next step. What's the next step? And it motivates me. It It's the reason why I hop out of bed in the morning instead of get out of bed in the morning. Um, and when I'm taught, one of the reasons is that when the pandemic occurred, right, I was sitting in my chair and I was working on my dissertation and I ended my writing for the day and I was like, oh, is this it? I'm, I'm bored. <laughs> I, I want to be around other people. I, why am I, what else do I do? Why can't I, I, I feel like I don't have, my hands are not busy enough. And I started feeling lonely and I was, um, advertised at the University of North Carolina, the writing center, they offer something called a dissertation boot camp, where not only are you going to be writing your dissertation, but they're going to have this structured thing. And because of the pandemic, instead of it being in person, they were going to do an online version. So like anywhere that you are, you could come into this uh, online room and uh, work together. And me doing it, and it was only for a week, I loved it so much. Because I got to see these 20 other graduate students that were also working at something and something that they were also working at their own dissertations and something about watching all of us work together. Not only was I motivated for myself, but I was motivated for them too. I was like, we're doing this together. We're all running to become doctors. Like we're going to do it. Right. (laughs) And then Friday happened and I was like, oh, we're, we're done. So what, what next now? What next? And I sat patiently and I just realized that it was me just waiting for the next writing center's dissertation boot camp to occur. And I was like, well, why do I need to wait for the writing center to do it for me? Why why don't I ask them if I can be able to continue it every day? And they were just like, yeah, sure. As long as you're not doing in the days that we're conducting it, where they do it about once every, like, it was for every month, and now it's every six weeks. Um, in between those dates, I started being like, hey, do you want to continue this? Because I was motivated. Are you motivated? Why don't we do this together? And that was last year, last October uh, of 2020. Okay. I got about a good 20 people to join me where we just started every day waking up at the same time, getting to our computers at the same time, writing for three and a half hours together, and then ending the day talking. And then I realized that I couldn't just work on my dissertation. I also wanted to help all of these people also get their dissertations as well. And I was so stoked. I was so stoked every single day to watch these people um, be motivated to get their work done that it motivated me. And we it was this never-ending loop of like 
support and joy and motivation. And do you know I love you? And it's like, I love you too. Like, you want to do this together? And just, I ended up, it was initially referred to as the bootleg boot camp. Okay. And then me being the pun person that I am and the weird I just was like, we're going to call ourselves the accountability buddies because we are buddies and it's all about accountability. So we're the accountability buddies and barely anybody can even say it because it's a tongue twister. Yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> but since then, it's been, I have been doing it. I have been conducting the accountability buddies for a year straight. So that's not including weekends. We have met every single day. We are currently at um, about 116 graduate students that are involved in the accountability wow. buddies, where it's a rolling group of about anywhere between 10 to 20 every single day. We don't have the um, the demand that you have to come from Monday through Friday. If it's just a day that you want to write with us, this is the time that we're going to be here. And so far, we have uh, had, I believe it's about 26 or 27, it might be 28 now. And by the end of this week, it's going to be another two. Uh, dissertations have been completed. Uh, I, oh, yay. Yeah, it's been so great to watch it because you watch these people every single day work on their dissertations. And I've been invited to 12 of them where I got to watch their defenses. And I'm a crying wreck, right? Because you're sitting next to this person as they write this dissertation and you get to watch the presentation at the end. I've probably watched these people work on their dissertations more than their advisors, definitely more than their colleagues and their cohort. And I'm here like, yeah, I watched how much work you put into this. And it's an incredibly supportive environment. And yeah, they're going to take me to the end of my road as well. And even now, like, there were some people that were asking that we meet from 9 to 1230 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we had some people asking, like, would there be a group that would meet in the afternoon? And I was like, sure, we have enough people that I'll have somebody that can host the morning group and I'll start hosting the afternoon group. And now we have another group that's from one to four o'clock wow. every uh, weekday Eastern Standard Time. And it's been incredible. Like, it's it's honestly the reason why I'm going to be completing my dissertation. It's the speed to which I was able to be motivated and keep working and keep getting one foot in front of the other because working on a dissertation is a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. Mm -hmm. And every day I sit down and I know that I'm going to have at least a minimum of 20 other people that are going to be sitting there with me. And I've been used to that all of my life, right? I always had these large houses mm -hmm. filled with people um, that it was the way for me to succeed. And I'm glad that I was able to cultivate that. I've, I'm very fortunate. And I definitely spend many days telling the group how much I love them. I just am like, the way I it's conducted, it's referred to as violent positivity. I just go, you have, I love you so <laughs> much. You are so incredible. Because maybe you might have imposter syndrome. Maybe you might think that you're not doing great. But I want you to know that you're an N of one right? I am your second coder here. 
And I'm trying to let you know, I've been coding you and I've seen how many times you come in. I see how many times you sit down at your computer. I see how many times that you get up and do and show up for yourself. And whether or not you think that you're doing a great job, I can confirm that you're doing a great job. And it's hard for somebody to deny me when I say something like that to them after knowing that I have been there to witness them doing that. And it's such a great like fulfilling motivational thing that it helps me not feel antsy during the pandemic. Like I'm not doing enough, like I'm not being involved enough. And I'm trying to do volunteering stuff on the sides and things like that. But this was honestly like what saved me. It gave me that camaraderie that, uh, that like we're going to do this together, even if our timelines are a little bit different. Yeah. It's always good to have a bit of a support group and to know that you're not alone in yeah. this process, right? And that other people are going through a similar thing, which is very motivating, as you say. And that is what's going to keep you pushing through uh, and jump to the next chair. Yeah. And it's not even as though, it's not as though we had to even research anything remotely close to one another. I've had people that are from epidemiology and medical and like, uh, and law to comparative literature, foreign language, East Asian studies, like all across, because the University of North Carolina has over 70 graduate schools. And I am getting a singular PhD student from like each of these departments that want to come in and be involved in this. And it's so, especially us as graduate students, right? The first and foremost, what we are, we're students. We are, we are fascinated. We're learners. We love to learn new things that we've never learned before. We like to engage the far reaches of our brains we've never gone to before. Think things that have never been thought, right? And I'm so, I feel like I got the key to this amazing little place where I get to hear things that nobody's ever talked about. Nobody's ever researched before. Each of these people are researching something that nobody's ever researched before. And it's like, I get first look and it's just the best. <laughs> and we all have that in common. That's our thing that we have in common. Whether mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what department we're in, we're all our graduate students. We're all researchers. We're all students. We're all fascinated. And it's such a commendable and admirable thing that I just... I'm in awe whenever I look at my colleagues, my buddies. So uh, some of them, also thanks to this group, already graduated and are now doctors. For you, hopefully, because you've been writing for more than a year, also can see the end of the tunnel sometime. Yeah, knock on wood and in about, it's a, I am, everything's downhill from here at this point, hopefully by the end of the year. I mean, Fingers crossed. Wood. Knock on every wood that I can find. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much longer it's going to take you. I'm not going to ask you that question this time because it's a terrible question to ask PhDs. Oh, that's an awful thing to ask. Exactly. Yeah, that's such a rude <laughs> thing to ask. And yet every parent asks it over and right. over again, right? When are you done yet? Okay. It's just, it's just a paper, isn't it? <laughs> how long does this paper take? Yeah, yeah don't get me started. <laughs> but what I do want to ask you, of course, on this show is... What are you going to do with that? What are the plans after the PhD? What is the next chair that you're going to jump to? See, that is such a great question because I'm so, I'm so excited. I thought I was going to be scared, right? You think that you're going to be like, 
well, who's going to take me? Because I was very worried. I, I ended up going to um, some uh, sessions that were involved on like how to be able to sell yourself as a uh, scholar, right, to these universities. And I've been recommended more than once, like, here's how to frame it where you don't have to say that you research pornography. Okay. Right? Like, I research media effects of sexualized media content and its influence on adolescent on, um, on people who are emerging and trying to uh, to develop their own personal sexual scripts. Like, that is the way to be able to sell what you're researching without mm-hmm. saying the bad thing, the trigger word, right? And... I got to a point where I was like, do I, especially being from California, I got so used to everything being so frigid fast. And then I got into academia and me being a first gen college student, I didn't know about the hiring process to become a professor, how people apply like a year in advance and then they wait. And they go through the interview process like six months later, right? Or maybe they're never even heard. Like you never right. even hear from the people that are inter- like want to interview you. And the amount of writing and effort that puts into that you put into just making these packages for interviews to become a professor. And I was so disheartened because I was like, am I doing this right? Am I saying the right things? Every time I tried to write something like a diversity and inclusion statement or a teaching statement, I I apparently was not understanding the essence of what they were actually looking for. And it was just so frustrating to the point where I was like, you know, why don't I? There's other paths and I'm not entirely sure if I want to go down them. Do I want to work for a research organization? Do I want to start my own research organization? Do I want to go back into the entertainment industry? Do I want to go into the F- like work for the FCC? Like what I wanted to do 10, 12 years ago. Do I start that process? That was my plan to do by the time I was 45. I'm only 33 now. I still have time. What about this other? And I just started thinking about all these different paths, right? Because the pandemic afforded me, le- first of all, it told me that my timeline was wrong. Like what I thought I was going to get done in the timeline that I thought I was going to get done, that went out the window. And so because I needed to reassess what my timeline was going to be, I was able to reassess what I wanted the timeline to go to. And I had extra time to think what path did I want to go down. And I gave myself permission, and I'm very lucky and fortunate because of um, extra side jobs and these grants and fellowships that were provided for me. And and being a first-gen immigrant that, like, knows how to hoard money, like, you're afraid that you're going to be thrown out onto the street in the next day, right? I work like I am a, I live like I'm a very scared poor person that's about to become homeless at any moment. So I have a good, I, I saved over so long that I was like, why not do myself the favor? I've been go, go, going for so long that why don't I give myself the favor of not planning what my next step would be? And then once I'm done, once I'm actually Dr. Mazandrani, right? Then I can actually go, all right, what's next? Because during this time, during the past five years, I've gotten married, but I haven't had a wedding. I, my father passed away, but I wasn't able to actually like be involved in his funeral and all that sort of stuff. And I 
was like, why don't I take some time out to live instead of work? And I've always wanted to, I don't know, have a wedding, (laughs) honeymoon, and a vacation maybe. And I realized that if I think about it right now, by the time I finish my dissertation, I'm just going to jump into the next thing. And I needed to force myself to take, I am planning to not plan the next jump. Okay. And by not planning it, that affords me the opportunity, the very, very blessed opportunity to be open to wherever the next step is going to be. And something about the effort and time that I put into complete this dissertation, all it did is boosted my confidence in knowing that I do have the endurance, I do have the ambition, and I have the passion that I can take a break and then I can come back and I can hit this freaking world as like I could hit the ground running once I'm ready. I've established that in myself. And so my need to decide what my next step, if I do that now, I feel like it would be done in panic that I needed to decide something. And so I'm forcing myself to not decide something specifically because I'm opening myself up and knowing that whatever opportunity presents itself to me, I am going to kick its ass. Like I'm going to do the best at it. I know that. And so why not instead of mainly because when somebody plans something, they plan something because they know this option is available and that's the path that they know. And how I got into standards and practices to begin with was I was interested in these abstract concepts of what I wanted to do, but I didn't know these jobs existed. And I have a feeling that the job I want to go to exists, but I haven't even imagined it yet. Okay. And I just need to be open to imagine it and I can find it. I just need to be open. If I have this narrow focus on academia or this narrow focus of research or what have you, that's going to take away opportunities for things that I didn't even know were possible. I mean, standards and practices essentially is that kid job that everybody wishes where I wonder if there's a job that pays for you to watch TV. (laughs) Yeah, it exists. It's called standards and practices. You're paid to watch TV and tell people if it's good or bad good and socially or bad socially. I got paid a bunch of money to watch TV. I found it. I didn't even know that job existed, but I found it. And I think the same thing is going to end up occurring once I'm finished with my doctorate, but I don't have the time to be open about it Mm -hmm. yet because I'm busy dealing, not dealing with, but busy working on this passion that I have right now. And once that chapter is closed... I want to be open and see what is even out there that I can do with the qualifications that I have because I've literally never been more qualified. (laughs) At that point, I'll never be more qualified for anything at that point. And so the world will be my oyster. I just need to know what is even offered. Mm -hmm. And you deserve it too. You worked so hard to get to where you are today. And we just passed, we're trying to get out of this pandemic, which wasn't easy for anyone. Um, So we deserve to take that break and to plan that wedding instead of maybe the next job. (laughs) So focus on that. (laughs) All right. Thanks for sharing the plan not to plan. Um, And then if you will allow me, I'm going to ask you another 
few short questions, three exactly, to wrap sure. up. Sure. Um, and they're supposed to be short questions, even though they might be a bit tough. But I'm going to ask you to try and to answer in like one sentence. Sure. I'm going to so, do my. I'm going to try my best. <laughs> so, what do you consider to be your most important contribution to your field? That I am a voice that inspires other people to look at their consumption and ask what they're learning from it. Just my existence, not even what my findings are. It's just that there is somebody that's asking what you're learning from it. And then you go, what am I learning from it? Yeah, what am I learning from it? <laughs> that is, I think, my biggest contribution so far. All right. Can't wait to see what's next after yeah. six months. Me break. neither. I'm also very excited to see what's next. Thank you. Yeah, we're into this together and being excited. And then who has impressed you most with what they have accomplished? Maybe a kind of a role model, yeah. My mom, 100%. Like to see a person who was, like she wasn't even allowed to go to college. By the time she was 17, uh, she was introduced to some dude and was like, this is the dude you're going to get married to. And she's like, okay. Right. To go from this small town, Charlus, Iran, to come to the United States, nine months pregnant, go across the country, like across the border, have a child without even speaking a lick of English in the United States and go from being homeless to having her own or like company and she does investment capital, working in real estate, living in, uh, in amazing, incredible eyes pour like tears pouring from my eyes weeping when I look at her house that's under her name and not under her husband's name because she has to it is hers she walks through the house and goes this is my doorknob this is my like bed this is my bathroom like all the sorts of things like this is my chandelier <laughs> all that it is such a constant inspiration a constant motivator a constant um, example of how literally there is no ceiling you can it the only thing that gets in your way is the is other people you're capable of it <laughs> just, if people can just get out of my way i can change the world that's how my mother goes through her life and that's how i go through my life which is basically just if everybody can just move to the side i can bolt that's all I need. And it's it's a great way to see the world, too. That does sound inspirational. Well done to the both of you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and then my very last question of the day is, how do you relax after a hard day of work? I need to give myself at least a minimum of, a, a minimum of an hour of mindfully sitting in silence and just trying to remember who I am and where I am in, in this world and be grateful for where I'm at. So about an hour every day, I sit in silence and I acknowledge that I have feet below me that are touching the floor and I acknowledge that I have hands and I can feel my fingertips and I... Um, and I think that I have these atoms 
that are arranged in the exact way that was necessary for me to move through this world, to get me onto this chair, to make this study, to be able to help the world. I need that hour. It's the only way I can calm down. Because outside of my writing, you get so, so excited. And I need an hour to just go, thank you. Thank you for me being in this position to do what I just did. And I still am here and I can take a break because tomorrow we'll be back at it again. And it's going to be so fun tomorrow. <laughs> I do that every day. Like you can stop right now because tomorrow's coming and tomorrow's going to be just as fun as today was. That sounds really good. Much better than the regular Netflix night that I hear. Well, I mean, Netflix is directly after that. Then I, start, <laughs> then I watch TV and then I hang out with my husband and I make jokes and I call my friends and I go part, like do my nerdy party things and do comedy improv crap with all of my friends before. And But for the most part, the only thing that calms me down is I need to recognize that I'm not just a walking brain. Like I need to recognize that I'm not just a brain on a skeleton that's going through the world. I still have hands. I still have feet. I still have a butt. I still have a butt to sit in a chair. I still have hands that can type. I still have eyes that can read. And that is so awesome. That is so awesome that our universe with its moonlight magic and macabre, right, just got together to form this thing that's sitting right here. And for some reason, these electrical synapses are synapsing and firing at the same amount of time that does this magical thing that gets me to conduct these studies and tell people about it, about what they're learning and how they're learning it and how many times they probably would need to watch it before they really learn something. It's, it's when you take a moment and think about it, it's so huge. Right? You need an hour to calm yourself down from <laughs> that excitement, right? Mm -hmm. You need an hour to just go, everything's okay, because tomorrow it's going to start up again. Yeah, keep going at it the next day. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us on the first episode of season three. I really enjoyed our chats, and I also want to thank our listeners for coming back. And if you're a new listener, we have 40 episodes ready for you in our former season, so check it out. Don't forget to connect with us on social media, on YouTube, and also our website, all with the same name. What to do with that, with the two spelled as the number two. Don't forget to like and share.